We're going to start a new series this week. We've got a, I've got a four-week series planned that's going to be interjected by the two guest speakers we've got over the summer, but it's going to be great. It's called The Good Work. That's what it's entitled, The Good Work. And, and what I want to do over these, these next, well, six weeks, but over the four messages is just to a- approach this message from a place of expectation, to, to really believe that we're going to hear from God throughout this series, that he's going to speak into us and he's going to begin to stir something up within our spirits and actually believe that he can do more through us and more in us than we expect. So this morning I want to ask you, do you consider yourself to be the best of the best? No? Do you consider yourself to be the brightest in the class perhaps? Or a top athlete? Any of those in the in the place? No? Were any world famous people in the room? No? Well, let me encourage you. There's still hope. There's still hope even for you because God can use you. God can use you even though you're not all of those things. God can use you. In fact, he specializes in using people like me and like you, just ordinary people just everyday people, nothing particularly special about us, nothing that's going to make us stand out from the crowd. He specializes in using people like us. And I wanted to bring this series because it it ties in nicely with the, the series we've been doing through Life Group about what on earth am I here for? And it's all about purpose. It's all about where do we fit? Where do we belong? How can we use the gifts that God's equipped us to, to, to make a difference in, in this community, in this nation, in this world. And actually to, to believe that, that we were created for something more. That, that the life that we're living just now isn't it. We've not reached our full potential. That actually there's so much more that we can, we can do and that we can achieve through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that actually we were created by God to do something that matters, to do something eternal, to do something that lasts way beyond us. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it? To know that actually when we've gone, that we've left behind us a legacy of something that's going to continue to impact people and continue to make a difference. So I'm praying and believing that over this series that that we're going to allow God to speak to our hearts, that we're going to open up our, our spirits and our souls. And, and, and I believe that he's going to speak directly to some people. Not to all of you, I don't think, but to some of us, he's going to speak directly into your soul. And he's going to, he's going to prompt you and nudge you to let you know that actually now is the time for you to, to step out in faith and to, to begin to do the good work that actually is going to, is going to go way beyond your lifetime. Does that sound good? But I want to warn you that, that with this message comes, comes something that, that actually, when we begin to step out in faith, when we begin to believe that, that God can use us, and when we, when we take those steps of faith and, and we begin to put into practice all that we've learned, that actually it comes with, with a personal cost. And we see it throughout scripture, don't we, that, that whenever people take these, these bold steps of faith and they begin to move in the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to, begin to hear the promises of God and, and step out into that truth, that actually it comes with a, with a personal cost. You know, you look at, at Noah, for example, and, and he, he built an ark and it was dry and, and he was laughed at and he was called out for being a fool. 
but actually him stepping out in faith in that way. Him being bold and, and stepping out despite the, the circumstances that surrounded him that made it look like actually the work that he was doing was pointless. But actually, it was incredible, wasn't it? Because it, it went on to make a huge difference. And, and I believe that as we take a step of faith, as we begin to, to do something significant in the name of Jesus, that actually it will come at a personal cost. And, and for you, that might be, it might be some kind of pain or, or agony. It might be a feeling of rejection or, or heartache. It might be that you begin to feel lonely or even outcast because you're stepping out in, in one direction and people don't see the reason why, but you feel it in your heart that God's called you to do this thing. So you're just going to step out boldly in faith, but actually you, you're left kind of feeling alone. And maybe you'll begin to get feelings of doubt. Or maybe you'll begin to question whether actually what you're doing and, and that step of faith that you're taking is something that God really called you to in, in the first place. But I, I encourage you to, to persevere, to persevere through it. And, and, you know, maybe you'll come up against bouts of discouragement as well. But you just need to stand firm in the promises of, of God and actually step out in faith and, and stand strong on the foundation of, of, of the Bible that you've been reading and you've been taking in and, and know that as you step out in the promise of God that he's going to move in power. You know, there, there are times when you might stand alone. There are times when you might be misunderstood or you might even be laughed at or made fun at, but, but God's going to do something through you. When you step out in faith, when you step out in boldness, God's going to God's going to use you. Because when we step out in faith, knowing that it comes at a personal cost, we understand that actually this is a sacrifice that we're making. It's a sacrifice. You know, it might be that you, you, you need to invest financially in something, so you're making a, a financial sacrifice. Or, or maybe you need to, to, to leave behind some, some people that, that are no good for you anymore, to step out into what God's called you to do. And you're, you're making these sacrifices, but God's going to honor that, and he's going to bless that. You know, I imagine, from, from what I've been told, that this could be a little bit like giving birth. Because apparently, I'm, I'm told that as you give birth, it's quite a painful experience. Almost as bad as man flu. <laughs> and you go through this, this pain, and sometimes it can last hours and, and hours, and, and when you're in that moment, all you can think about is the, the pain that you're experiencing. But then the baby arrives, and you look down at this little squidgy bundle of mess, and, and you're just in awe. And, and from what I'm told, within minutes or even seconds, you forget about the pain that you've gone through, and all you can see is this beautiful thing that you've helped to create. And so when God puts something within your heart and he, he equips you and empowers you to step out in faith that actually you may go through pain and you may go through discomfort and you may get laughed at and, and called out and ridiculed, but actually when you get through all of that and come out and see the thing that God has helped you to, to impact or to create or to, to influence, that you won't even remember the pain that you went through. You'll just see, wow, look what God has done. Look what God has done. You know, you may look like an ordinary, everyday person. You may not 
feel exceptionally gifted or, or even qualified to, to do whatever it is that you feel prompted in your heart to do. But God loves you. And God is for you. And when God calls you to do something, he gives you everything you need to achieve it. We don't need to struggle or to strive or to worry that, that we won't be able to do whatever it is that God's put in our heart. Because hear this this morning, when God calls you to do something, he has already equipped you. You have everything you need in order to see his promises come to fruition. So this morning and, and over this series, I just want to take some time to look at just an ordinary, everyday guy from the Old Testament. A guy who's just like you and me, who, who lived an ordinary life, but his heart broke for something. His heart broke for something so much that he felt the need to step out in faith. So we're going to look at this ordinary guy named Nehemiah. And his, his heart broke when he heard the news of the, the struggles of his people. He was brought to, to his knees in, in tears because of, because of the news that he'd heard about the struggles of, of the Jews. And so he decided that enough was enough. Something has got to be done about this situation. Someone has got to step in. So it may as well be him. It may as well be me. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 2.18, So they began the good work. Everyone say the good work. The good work. Let's just pray and then we're going to jump into this. Lord God, I pray that, that you're going to stir something in us to, to begin to believe that, that you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask and imagine. And I pray that over these next uh, four sessions, the next six weeks, that you'll begin to impart something into our souls and into our spirits, that you'll begin to stir something up within us that we can't contain any longer, something that, that brings us to the point of breaking point that we can't stand by any longer and we just cry out to you, enough is enough. Something needs to be done and it may as well be me. So I pray that by the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit that you will equip us and empower us to make a difference in the lives of our friends, of our family, of this town. Give us the courage that we need to step out in faith. Stir up those gifts that are already within us and release them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of this series I've entitled When You Can't Take It Anymore. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? When you get to that point where you just, I just can't hack this anymore. This is not okay. I've come to the end of myself. And, and we're going to look at this, this motivating and, and captivatingly interesting story about an ordinary guy named Nehemiah who made an extraordinary difference. I love that throughout Scripture, God chooses ordinary people to do something extraordinary. It gives me comfort because it makes me feel that actually, even though I'm an ordinary guy, God can do something extraordinary through me. So Nehemiah, he, was, he wasn't a, a pastor, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a prophet. He was just an ordinary guy and, and he heard something that crushed his spirit. He heard something that brought him to the, the point of breaking where he just cried out, enough is enough. And, 
And when he heard this news, he was compelled to make a difference. He was compelled to to step out in faith. So he worked in, in the palace. So that might seem like he's extraordinary because he gets to be around royalty. He worked for a king named Arcturxerxes, I think is how you say it. He, he worked for this king, but he, he wasn't royalty. He was just an ordinary guy, and he, and he happened to get a job in the palace, which is, is great for him. And actually, it meant that he was, he was around royalty, but he wasn't royalty. In fact, he was just a servant. If, if King Artaxerxes was Batman, then Nehemiah was Alfred. He was just the guy that was, he's just an ordinary guy, just there to, to serve the king, just there to, to do whatever the king wanted. And so that was his role, a butler almost, a servant. But it was an incredibly trusted position. It was a position of, of incredible trust because he did, he had full access to the king. He was, he was around him, I can imagine, you know, most of his waking day, most of the king's time when he was awake, Nehemiah would have been around him, helping out, serving him, doing what he could. And so he would have been privy to a lot of information that, that wasn't really for his ears. You know, if, if the king was, was plotting a battle, Nehemiah would have known about it. If there was trouble going on, Nehemiah would have heard about it. If, if the king had a, I don't know, a health problem that was a little bit embarrassing, then Nehemiah would have known about it, but he would have needed to keep shtum. Because he was around that information, and he was privy to that information, but it, he had to live his life as though he hadn't heard anything. He was just there to serve. Isn't it great how God uses servants to, to do something great? And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to serve during his lifetime, to, to wash people's feet, to, to show that he was just there to help in every way that he could, not to, to be a king or, or to be a ruler, but just to be a servant and to show God's love in that way. I, I love the, those kind of parallels. But this, this position that Nehemiah found himself in was, was such a trusted role, and actually his job title made that even clearer. He was the cupbearer to the king. He was the cupbearer. So that meant that, that, you know, in that time there might have been plots to kill the king, there might have been people who didn't agree with the way he was ruling, the way he was, he was doing things, or maybe they wanted to, to conquer the, the region. And, and so there might have been plots to, to kill the king. And, and if you were going to kill a king in those days, then poison was probably the best way to go. So Nehemiah had this great job because he got to eat and drink of all of the food in the palace. But he had to do it first. He had to do it before the king because just in case... There was some poison within it, just in case someone had laced this wine with something that wasn't quite pleasant. He got to drink it first, and, and I don't know how I feel about that role. I mean, it, I'm a, I can only assume that in the palace they're eating and drinking the best of the best. So he's on the good wine, and he's eating the good food like we've been experiencing this week. But he's doing it with a risk, isn't he? I've got to try this wine and, and let's just wait a couple of minutes and see if there's anything bad happens before I hang this cup over to the king. I wonder if it came with life insurance. One wrong move and he's out of a job or a life. I don't know. He was just an ordinary guy. 
in a, in a fortunate role, but not a role that came with status. He was just a servant attending to the needs of the king. So, so this ordinary guy was having an, an ordinary day and, and then he heard something in a conversation that absolutely broke his heart. So it says this in, in Nehemiah 1 verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, one of Nehemiah's brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's asking these questions because 140 years prior to this moment, the Babylonians under the rule of the evil King Nebuchadnezzar had come in and they'd, they'd attacked the Jewish people. They'd destroyed their city, they'd burned down the walls, they'd, they'd removed any kind of protection that this city may have had, just completely destroyed their livelihood and their hometown and, and everything that they'd ever loved and known. And then they, they kind of caught them up and, and exiled them. This whole people group were, were exiled. Their city, their town, the place that they knew and loved was destroyed was left in absolute ruins. The temple was wiped out. This place of, of worship was, was ruined. And every building now lay in rubbles and the gates to the city were burned. So the Jewish people, I can only imagine, felt absolutely helpless in this situation that they'd been attacked and their, their hometown had been ruined and now they were, they were exiled and they were kind of in this, in this place of of captivity, of, of bondage, and then, and then decades later, under, under a different rule, around 50,000 Jews or so moved back to Jerusalem. They, they escaped or were released from, from exile, and they, they went back to their, their hometown. They thought, you know what? We're going to go back to, to Jerusalem, and we're going to rebuild. We're going to make things right again. We're going to make things how they were, how they, how they should have always been. And we're going to rebuild the walls and we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild the temple and we'll make it good again. It'll be just like it was before. But they got back there and, and for some reason they couldn't get anything moving. They, they kind of stormed in their, in their motivation and they, they felt demoralized and they and they felt immobilized and they weren't able to, to do. They left with all this passion that we'll rebuild everything and it'll be great. And, and they did kind of rebuild the temple and, and, and the, the people who remembered were like, oh, it wasn't, it's not as good as it was before. And there was some upset there. And, but the walls never got, never got made. The walls were still left in ruins. And so when, when Nehemiah sees his brother, he asks, you know, how are they? How are things back in Jerusalem? How, how is it going? And it says in verse 3, when the brother replies, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is now in great trouble and shame. Why? Because the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. In other words, their, their walls, their, their gates, the, any means of protection for this city were in ruins. They were destroyed. They were, they were burned down. So they'd, they'd moved back to their hometown and they'd, they'd tried to get things moving again, but, but they were living in a place with, with, with no hope. They were living in a place with no jobs, with no, 
ecosystem, with no leadership, with no direction, with no confidence of, of how they could move forward. And, and their protection was gone, so they were, they were at risk of, of attack from enemy forces. At any moment, someone could come and, and take them back into exile again. They were in a, a dangerous and desperate situation. And hearing this news of his people, hearing that, that they were still in, in this position of hopelessness, it just it crushed Nehemiah. It, it broke him. It absolutely destroyed him. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you hear something that, that breaks your heart? What do you do when you get to that place where, where you're just thinking enough is enough and you, you know that there's a, a good work that needs to be done and, and you think that perhaps you should be part of it? What do you do when you see something that bothers you, when it, when it moves you, when it, when it crushes you and you just can't take it anymore? Well, this morning I just want to give you three thoughts about how we can begin the good work. How we can look at Nehemiah's response to, to how the Jews are doing and, and, and put these into action. And, and the first thing that we see when, when Nehemiah hears this news is that he sits down and cries. He hears about the plight of his people and, and he just sits down and cries. When was the last time that you were moved to tears? When was the last time you, you heard about something or you, you read about something and it, it broke your heart? When was the last time you faced a situation and, and it just, it crushed you? You know, for some of you, maybe that's a regular occurrence. Maybe you're, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve and, and things just, just break you really easily. But maybe for others, not so much. And, and actually, it really takes something to, to impact you. Because you've built up walls and barriers to stop truth getting in and, and actually you've become a bit numb to the pain that we, that we see in the world. But it's good to cry. Don't let anyone tell you it's not good to cry. Men, don't let anyone tell you it's not okay to cry. It's, it's good to cry. It's good to be emotional. Nehemiah's first and most natural response to hearing this news. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. When he heard about the, the devastation and when he heard about the, the hopelessness of his people, it wrecked him. It broke him inside. And it's interesting that actually when, when Nehemiah heard this news, he was like a thousand miles away from where this situation was. It wasn't like it was just next door or just outside the palace gates, and, and that's where this issue was going on. It was a thousand miles away. And he heard this news, and he allowed it to break him. You know, he was probably living the good life, we've already said. He's eating and drinking the king's food, and aside from the risk of doing that, it's good food, it's good wine, he's enjoying palace life. And then he hears this news. You know, if we were to translate that into now, you know, maybe you're sitting at home in your comfortable sofa and you're scrolling through Facebook on the latest iPhone and, and something catches your eye and it's a bit of news about some devastation in, in, I don't know, in Syria or whatever. And you kind of skim read it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a bit sad, isn't it? And then you keep on scrolling. 
because the walls have been built up and you're not going to let it in. You know, or maybe you're, you're sitting at home and you're, you're watching, binge watching Netflix on your 4K HD TV, living the comfortable life and you just happen to turn it off and the news appears and, and something hits you about a, a war that's breaking out or some devastation or, or poverty and, and you just, ah, oh, you know, that's a shame, isn't it? And, and then you switch off. Because we don't need to let it in, do we? When we, when we hear about stuff or we, we read about stuff, we don't need to let it in because it's not happening on our doorstep. It's not even happening in our town. It's, it's thousands of miles away. It's, it's really sad, but, but I'm here and they're there. So I feel bad for a second and then, and then I move on. Maybe even we say a little prayer, you know, God help them. God help them in that situation, but then we, we switch off and we move on because we've become numb. As a society, we've become numb to the, the heartache and the pain that we experience and we, we see and we hear and we read. We've allowed ourselves to become numb, to, to build up these walls, to stop anything of, of emotion getting into our souls and our spirits. And in that moment that Nehemiah heard this news, he had that choice like we have. This struggle, this, this devastation was a thousand miles away. You could have gone, yeah, that's really bad for them, isn't it? Ah, oh, God help them. I just pray that you'll be in that situation. Amen. Back to my food, back to my drink, back to my everyday life. He had a choice. He could choose to, to put up the wall. He could choose to allow that numbness to, to stop anything breaking into his spirit. Or he could choose to allow the pain in. He could choose to allow it in and not just into his head, but, but into his heart to the point where it, it broke him. And I'm so grateful that he allowed it into his spirit because it means that we can learn from his response. Because we can see how this ordinary guy responded to some devastating news and hopefully we can learn from that and apply that to our own lives to, to hear what, what he did and how he responded and to, to maybe respond accordingly. You know, when he heard the news, he, he didn't do what's so easy to do and just brush it off, keep on scrolling, change the channel. He let it in. He sat down and he cried. I'd ask you this morning, what, what breaks your heart? What is it that's a, a burden that's weighing on your soul and actually brings you to the point of tears? What is it that creates a righteous anger inside of you? Where you get to that point where you're just like, it's not right. This won't happen on my watch. While I'm alive, I'm not going to sit around and do nothing. I'm going to ask God to help me to step into this situation. Is, is there something inside of you that makes you feel like that? You know, maybe for you it's, it's loneliness or, or it's hunger or it's poverty. Maybe for you it's, it's a generation, it's young people or, or old people. Maybe it's your family or your workplace or, or the devastation that we hear and see on the news. Maybe for you it's something very specific, but ask yourself that question. What is it that, that burns within your heart? What is it that brings you to a point of devastation? What is it that wrecks you? Because when Nehemiah heard this news, it brought him to a place of tears. 
Now, I'm quite an emotional guy. I, 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 I'd cry almost anything. Yeah. A book, a movie, a TV advert. It brings me to tears. It's, it's, know, it's a little bit sad, really, but you know, there are loads of things that, that can bring me to a, a point of, of emotion. But, but recently, I've been noticing that the thing that, that most easily brings me to that point is, is lost children, hurting children. And, and I think there's something in that. We, we were watching Toy Story 4. We, we took the boys to see Toy Story 4 the other day at the cinema. It's a great movie if you've, if you've not seen it. You know, go and see it. It's, 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 an, you know, it's an epic movie. And no spoilers in this, but there's a scene within the movie where right near... The, well, so the end is, is really emotional. And I cried there. Let's not lie about that. I cried at the end. But there's a scene just before the end. And it's this maybe two-minute scene. And it's got this character in it that you've, you've never met before. Over, over four movies, you've never met this little girl before. And she's at a fair, and she's standing in the shadows, and she's just crying because she's lost her parents. And that scene of this one girl whose name I don't even know, that brought me to tears more quickly than anything else because she was just feeling this, this lost feeling and this heartache and this pain of, I'm all alone. Where are my parents? And then it's okay because it's a Disney movie and there's a happy ending and, and she gets the courage through the, the toys to, to go and ask someone for help and, and that reunion of the lost child and the parents. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. There's a roller coaster of emotion within two minutes of just pain and then joy and it just broke my heart. And I'm beginning to read, uh, well, in fact, let me give you another example. Has anyone read or seen The Shack? Oh my gosh, that whole book, that whole film is based on the premise of a lost girl. And I, I read that book, I've read it twice now, and every time I just weep. I just weep. And then the movie came out, and I, I really wanted to see it because, you know, it's such an incredible story. So we bought the DVD, and I put it on, and I'm not kidding, within five minutes... Like nothing had even really happened, but I knew what was going to happen. I'm not kidding. I nearly had to turn it off. I was sat on one couch and Ruth was sat on the other. And we put this movie on and oh, the tears just started to roll before anything had happened. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I said it to Ruth. I got up off my couch and went to sit next to her for a bit of comfort just to get through this movie because I was so emotional at knowing the pain that this parent was going to go through. And it just broke my heart. And it made me realize over these past couple of months that, that actually there's a reason that it's that that breaks my heart so easily. Because my heart is for the lost. My heart breaks for the unnatural separation of, of a father and his children. And that's the society that we live in, that there's, there's so many lost children just waiting to be reunited with their father. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to let those things in, to, to break you and to, to rise something in, something within you that makes you say, enough is enough. God, help me to make a difference in this situation. Equip me to, to be able to make even a small difference in this situation. You know, if that thing, whatever that thing is in your life, isn't strong enough, 
if you don't allow it to break through those walls that as a society we build up, if you don't let it in to, to crush your spirit, you'll never see the goodness of God at work in your life. Because the reason that that thing breaks your spirit is because God's calling you to step out in faith and make a difference. So ask yourself this morning, what is it that breaks my heart? What is it that breaks your heart? So what do you do when, when enough is enough? Well, the first thing is you, you sit down and you cry, and that's okay. And, and the second thing we learn from Nehemiah is that he, he kneels down to pray. In the second half of verse 4, it says, you know, as soon as I've heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I, I mourned for days. And then he says, I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Listen to me, church. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. For some reason, for so many of us, prayer can be a last resort. Even for me, sometimes I, I don't understand why it is, but for some reason, prayer is the thing we get to last because we struggle and strive to, to do things in our own strength. But actually, the the strongest weapon in our arsenal is prayer and praise. So when something is crushing our spirit, don't, don't try and, and fix it yourself because if you can fix it yourself, the problem isn't hard enough. We need to be broken for things that only God can impact. And so we need to get to a point where we kneel down and we pray. Have you ever said this phrase, well, all we can do now is pray. All we can do now is pray. What a ridiculous phrase that is. All we can do now is pray. Well, God's in heaven going, oh, well, if all you can do is pray, God, you must be screwed. I mean, whew, if all you can do is cry out for help from the all-knowing, all-powerful God, then whew, you're in trouble. Come on, all we can do is pray? Flipping, eh? That's not all we can do. That's the first thing we should do. We need to pray. We need to get on our knees and pray because you plus God is always a majority. You plus God is always a majority. So no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, no matter what burden God's put on your heart, pray about it because you plus God is a majority. When we go before the Heavenly Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth in prayer. We, we ask for his Holy Spirit to empower us. We call down the power of creator God into our lives and say, through me, you make a difference. It's not us. Even though it might be us stepping out in faith, it's, it's not us. It's God at work in us and through us. So we can't step out without faith. Because if you step out without faith, you're going to fall. You're going to start to sink. You're going to start to drown. We need to step out in faith. And you know, the other thing that we do when we pray is, we pray this prayer. Lord God, be with such and such. I just pray that you'll be with Dave as he goes for his job interview. And we pray that you'll be with Mary because she's feeling a bit lonely right now. 
And I pray that you'll be with such and such and be with and be with and be with us all forevermore. Amen. Well, what a great prayer that is. But in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I am always with you to the ends of the age. So when you pray a be with prayer, you're just wasting time. He's already with them. He's already promised to be with you and with them until the ends of the age. So stop praying be with prayers. Be with. Be with. Let's get bigger and bolder in our prayers. Let's pray for stuff that sounds ridiculous. Let's pray for the miraculous. Let's pray for, for nations transformed in an instant. Things that seem impossible. Let's pray for those things, not be with so-and-so. Let's look how Nehemiah prays when he, he hears this news. So he's brought to a place of, of tears and then he gets down on his knees to pray and he says, Oh Lord, be with the people of Jerusalem. Absolutely not. Absolutely no way is he praying a be with prayer. He says this in verses 5 to 7. O Lord of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandment. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Do you see what he's doing here? He's getting spiritual before he gets practical. He's not going straight in with the help me, please will you. He's beginning with a thank you and I'm sorry thank you and I'm sorry. You know, it reminds me of when Jesus prayed for the, for the paralyzed man because in that situation, everyone in the room could see that, that this man needed a touch of God to, to heal him. But what does Jesus do? He says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. He gets spiritual first because he recognizes that's the most important need in this man's life but that you know the power and authority of which I, I say these words, get up and walk. That follows. But first and foremost, he's spiritual. And, and Nehemiah knows that the, the issue of the walls in Jerusalem is, is, is just indicative and, and reflective of the, the spiritual situation that the Jews find themselves in. The reason that the wall is, is collapsed and broken down and, and has not yet been repaired is because of their spiritual condition. They've got a need of the heart first before a need of repairing walls. So, Lord God, he prays, you're awesome. You are so good. Forgive my sins. Forgive the sins of my family and my house. Forgive the sins of my people. He pleads first for forgiveness. And he's inclusive in that. We have messed up. Forgive us. And after he's mourned and fasted and praised, he, he then goes before the king and asks for permission to go and help. He says to the king, you know, I, I honor you and, and I love you and I respect you and I'll always be with you, but, but would you grant me permission to leave the palace and to go back and help my people try 
to rebuild. In verse 11, he, he says this. He, he talks to God about the king and he says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. We watch Nehemiah pray over and over again because he recognizes the importance of prayer before action. He's not just going to jump to action. Oh no, this news is dreadful. Let's rush there straight away. He goes through a process. He hears the devastation and it, it breaks his heart and he lets it in. But then he, he gets on his knees to pray to God. Forgive our sins. God, you're, you're awesome. And then he moves on. Then he moves on. I hope you understand this morning that, that what you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. What you pray about really reflects what you believe about God. You know, if, if your prayers are only bless this food and, and keep me safe and be with, be with, be with, then you're not believing in the real power of God. Our God created the world out of nothing. Our God breathed life into each one of us. Our God sent his son to, to live a perfect life, to, to die the most gruesome of deaths and then to, to rise again. And we have access to that power through prayer. When we call on his name, we say, Holy Spirit, will you move like only you can do? That's the power of God. And so we need to be upping the game of our prayers. Even if you're already praying huge prayers, pray bigger. Pray bolder. Believe for more because God can do more than we can ask or imagine. So how do you begin the good work when you just can't take it anymore? Well, first you let God in. You let that situation penetrate your soul and you let it impact you to the point of tears. And, and then at some point you're going to get down on your knees and you're going to pray to God because you realize that you can't make a difference on your own. You need him to help you. And then once your heart's been broken and you've, you've sought the goodness and the power and the promise of God, then number three, you stand up in faith to act. You stand up to act. Nehemiah takes the cup and he's, he's sampled the wine to make sure it's safe and, and then he passes it to the king and, and the king recognizes something on his face that, that makes him, him realize that Nehemiah is sad, that his, his heart is broken. And so the king says to him in, in chapter 2 verse 4, Nehemiah, what is it that you're requesting? What is it that you want? Because he's He's seen that, that Nehemiah's not okay. Through their, their proximity, their relationship, their closeness, he, he recognizes that something's not right. And, and so then Nehemiah prays this speed prayer. The king said to him, what, what are you after? What is it that you want? How, how can I help? And he prays this speed prayer. If it pleases the king. Oh no, it says this. So what is it you're requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And then he goes on to ask for help. But in that moment, in that instance, there was just this quick prayer where he said, God, help me, or Holy Spirit, come, or just one, two, three words, and he prays, knowing that in this situation, as he, as he makes this request, this bold statement from the king, please release me 
from your palace, from, from this work, so that I may go and do this thing that burdens my heart. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and then he answers the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, so that I may rebuild the wall. My people are hurting the walls are down, the city is exposed, there's, there's no protection and I, I can't sit around and just let this happen. I need to do something. It might as well be me. I hope this is speaking to someone this morning. You know, maybe you've been facing something, but you've been keeping your distance. Maybe you've been building up those walls and you're not letting stuff in, you're not letting things in to, to penetrate your soul and really impact you and, and bring you to a point of tears and, and crushing and, and breaking. But when we allow it in, when we allow it in, God can move in such power. You know, I believe this morning that, that some walls are starting to crack. That some walls are, are maybe even coming down this morning and, and we're already beginning to let something into our, to our spirits. It's time now to let it in. Don't wait any longer. And as you let it in, you're going to feel this, this rush of pain, this rush, rush of emotion that gets right into your soul and brings you to a, a point of tears where you just cry out to God, enough is enough. I can't stand by any longer. God, I need you in this situation because I'm helpless. I can't do anything on my own. This is something that is so big that, that I can do nothing but through you. So God, empower me, equip me. And then from that, that posture of prayer, through that posture of prayer, the Holy Spirit will release you and God will begin to, to, to put a promise in your heart that says, I am with you. I am for you. My heart's breaking for that too. Let's do something. Let's go and make a difference. But then the doubt creeps in, doesn't it? Who am I? I'm just an ordinary woman. I'm just a, an ordinary man. What can I do? I have zero influence. I have zero resources. I, I can't do anything. Who am I to be able to, to step out and make a difference in this? What will people say? What will people say about me? Well, know that you don't need to be appointed by man if you're called by God. You don't need to be appointed by man if you're called by God. And when you let that thing into your spirit and it breaks you, and when you... You come to that point of prayer when you just cry out to God, I need your help. That burden is a calling from God. So it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You just step out in faith, believing that God can work in you and through you. You don't have to be chosen by people if God prompts your heart. If he stirs something within your spirit, you don't need approval from, from the next guy because he's placed that in your heart for a reason. Because he wants you to work with him and make a difference. So just step in. Step out. Trust him. Watch him.
why don't we just take a moment to, to just ask God what's that thing? Maybe you already know. Maybe you already know what it is that's, that's in your life that's, that's a burden on your heart. But let's just pause for a moment. Maybe close your eyes and just say to God, what, what is it that you're putting in my heart? What, what holy burden are you calling me to? And ask him to break down those walls that have been built up that are stopping the emotion get into your spirit. Begin to, to feel the presence of God stirring within you. As he begins to, to allow it into your spirit and it begins to break your heart. Well, why does it break your heart? Well, perhaps because like Nehemiah, just an ordinary guy, like so many others in the Bible, you've been chosen by God to step into this burden and to start the good work. Nehemiah didn't finish it alone, and, and we'll look at that in the weeks to come. He didn't, he didn't do it alone, but it didn't happen until he started it. What do you do when you can't take it anymore? You sit down and cry. You kneel down and you pray, and then you stand up to act. Father God, I just pray this morning that, that walls will come down. That walls will come down and we'll begin to allow the, the burdens and the emotions that you've put on our hearts to penetrate us and to, to really bring us to a point of tears. To bring us to a point where we can't stand it anymore and we need to do something about it. Let our heart break for the things that, that break your heart and give us that comfort knowing that actually you're with us. You're with us in this because if you weren't, then we couldn't make a difference because I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just an ordinary guy who's got a burden on his heart to, to see the lost saved, to see your children return to you. But I can't make a difference on my own. Lord God, equip me. Equip us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name.